The following is a sermon podcast from White Ridge Baptist Church. Good morning on this first day of Advent Sunday. And I have a question for us all this morning. How good is your image? How good do you feel about your image? What's cool? Are you a cool dad or parent? Do any dads still floss? Can any dads here floss? (laughs) Generally, we can't floss because we've got middle-aged dad hips and it's hard to do it. Today's title is Imago Dei, Image of God, Justice for All. And the question is this is I want to lift it higher. The question is this, as we look around us and look at justice in the world, and we look at God in the Bible especially, the image of God, it seems a long way off when you put the two things together. And what about the image of me? What about my image or your image? How how good is that? I'd been living in Prague uh, many years ago now for a few months, and a couple of my, sorry, a friend of mine walking down a street, and there was a couple in the street fighting. And a man had his girlfriend in, an, in a lock. Her head was in his, his hand there. And she was screaming. Now, we obviously were very new in the country. And when you're a foreigner in a new country, you've not got as much power. So we ran over. And I did the first thing that was natural for me to do, not being able to communicate, is I clapped like this. Stop. And I jumped. The natural thing to do. My opera, th- my opera singing friend did what she could do, which was to let out some operatic screeches, like, woo, 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 like this. I also had acquired some check that morning in my class, which was to drop it. So if you've got a pen, nechtoho, drop it, put it down. So I was able to say to the man, nechtoho, drop it. <laughs> Bizarrely enough, I think we look so bizarre that the man and the lady stopped fighting and looked at us for a, for a minute, and then the man walked off. Now, anyone watching would have thought that looked ridiculous, not a good image. But this man was beating his partner, which is no joke. And I don't know if you heard recently from the UN, but um, the women, the highest cause of death for women today is through domestic abuse, through violence. So this is a very serious situation. And we did what we could. And through this very disturbing act, somehow this injustice was dealt with. And in that moment, a solution came. What does it mean to be bearers of the image of God? To be a church or individual that acts and looks like God? And what does that mean for the community around us? In my work, I sometimes find that the sea of injustice is very hard to face. I work for the International Justice Mission, and we are a community of Christian lawyers, Um, investigators, aftercare professionals, activists. And what we do is we partner with governments 
and we work with the local police across the developing world to rescue victims of violence and to go after the perpetrators. We work with the aftercare professionals to restore broken lives and with the judiciary and the law courts to convict the perpetrators. And ultimately, our, our aim is to transform the justice system in that country so that it actually can protect the poor. Now, there's no question that there's nothing like violence to distort the image of God in humanity. And some of you may have heard me talk about this before from this, from this platform. A child in unimaginable horror in Manila, facilitated by a family member for profit, is forced to perform sexual acts over the internet for twisted pleasure of usually a male living in places like Canada. Or an innocent man that gets rounded up off the street in, say, Nairobi, separated from his wife and from his children for years and charged for a crime that he knew nothing of and didn't commit. In iGEM's work, we see many desperate situations where there really is no justice and God's image in mankind can actually appear completely absent. Forgot to put my glasses on, sorry. Last year, I had the privilege of going to see some of the work that we're doing in Uganda, where young girls were raped by a local, uh, local group of construction workers who were drunk. And these girls had no access to justice for one reason. They were poor. They couldn't afford a lawyer. And even if they could have afforded a lawyer, then they'd have had to probably have found bribes to bribe the police, the medical examiner, the case file archivist, and even the law court. No money, no justice. I was forced to ask myself in this situation, where is God in this mess? Where is his image in these broken people, let alone the perpetrators? Is justice really possible for these people? Or is it just a Western luxury? Or a luxury of the privileged? And what about me? How does the image of God in me respond to this? What am I doing to help? And to be honest, the overwhelming temptation is to look away or to hide. Well, I hope as we look deeper into this topic this morning, through the pages of Isaiah, we will see that by embracing God's image in us, and by taking seriously the role of image bearer, Imago Dei, can bring surprising results. And as we, as we shall see, it will bring much, much more. So in this text, in the book of Isaiah, and we've not read it, but we're going to be reading it as we go along, and it will appear up on the screen as well. God is challenging his people Israel through his prophet, and he's challenging us here today at White Ridge Baptist Church. And I believe there are three things that we can really take from this and take note. And they are, listen to God and see injustice. Live out his image in us and experience the God of justice. So let's start by listening to God. So let's read. 
Isaiah 58, verses 1 to 3. Shout it aloud, do not hold back. Raise your voice like a trumpet. Declare to my people their rebellion and to the descendants of Jacob their sins. For day after day they seek me out. They seem eager to know my ways. And if they were a nation that does what is right and has not forsaken the commands of its God, they ask me for just decisions and seem eager for God to come near them. Why, why have we fasted, they say, and you have not seen it? Why have we humbled ourselves and you have not noticed? What is missing? God's people are seeking him day after day, and they're eager to know God's ways and for God to come near to them. They pray, they worship, they refrain from eating as a sign of personal humility to God. These people seem very dedicated to their faith, and all of this sounds really good. They're good spiritual practices, but there's something not quite right. There seems to be a problem, because at the beginning, in verse 1, we get the not-so-subtle hint that there's rebellion and sin. And then after a list of seemingly good practices, verse 4 begins with a little word, yet. It's a word that changes the tone, the direction of what we're hearing and reading, sort of like the words but, or on the other hand. Saturday morning is vacuum morning for me, and I get the vacuum out, and I go around the, the bungalow, and I do the basement, and I do the upstairs. And often, my wife, Rafana, will come to me and say, honey, you, thank you, thank you for doing the, the vacuuming. Really appreciate it. Yet. <laughs> you didn't do the dusting. <laughs> Never vacuum and then dust. You always dust, then vacuum, right? And I say, well, I've done the whole of the downstairs, I've done the whole of the upstairs, I've even done the stairs in between, and you're saying I need to dust as well. That word yet, you know that something hard or challenging is going is to follow. So, Isaiah continues in verse 3. Yet, on the day of your fasting, you do as you please and exploit all your workers, your fasting ends in quarrelling and strife and in striking each other with wicked fists. You cannot fast as you do today and expect your voice to be heard on high. Is this the kind of fast I have chosen, only a day for people to humble themselves? Is it only for bowing one's head like a reed or for lying in sackcloth and ashes? Is that what you call a fast, a day acceptable to the Lord? He goes on. Is not this the kind of fasting that I have chosen? To loose the chains of injustice and untie the cords of the yoke, to set the oppressed free and break every yoke? Is not to share your food with the hungry and to provide poor, uh, the poor wanderer with shelter when you see the naked, to clothe them and not to turn away from your own flesh and blood? How do we listen to God in our lives? 
Or maybe through spending time in God's Word. Maybe we have a daily reading, which is a great way to, to really hear from God and, and to seek God. Maybe through a quiet time. Sometimes we can sit quietly and just listen to God and ask the Holy Spirit to speak to us. And then there's also through others, through hearing God through others speaking to us. The thing is, though, we're creatures of habit. And so church life can actually become a bit of a habit. Now, it's not necessarily a bad thing, but occasionally we need to, and Pastor Terry's mentioned this before, it's a Northern Irish phrase I often pull out, we need to catch yourself on, they say in, in, in Northern Ireland, catch yourself on, or wind your neck in. Wind your neck in, that's how they say it. Get real, shape up. We don't think that the duties of ritual and church life can define our Christian life, do we? Is that our Christian life? See, we can be committed church men and church women, but at the same time, we can be selfish, unloving, and even ungodly. Sometimes we need God to intervene in our unhelpful habits and rituals in order to break through this status quo. And we can learn a lot, people, from fleas. Training fleas requires a glass jar with a lid. The fleas are placed inside the jar and the lid is then sealed. They are left undisturbed for three days. Then, when the jar is opened, the fleas will not jump out. In fact, the fleas will never jump higher than the level set by the lid. Their behaviour is now set for the rest of their lives. And, when these fleas reproduce, their offspring will automatically follow their example. There's an awkward silence. I'm not saying that this is White Ridge Baptist Church, okay? I'm not saying that. What I am saying is that this is actually human nature, isn't it? If we dare to actively listen to God, we will get insights about our motives that can help us to escape, as it said, the circus of unhelpful ritual and habit and live beyond the imaginary lid of our lives. So yes, we need to make an effort to spend time in God's word and find times of stillness with God. But perhaps uh, the biggest help outside of ourselves to break in these unhelpful habits and rituals can be how God uses others to speak into our lives. We need Isaiah's in our lives to help us see ourselves better sometimes. So husbands, don't despise the Isaiah's in your life. Wives, don't despise the Isaiah's in your life. Children, parents, f friends. I remember once walking along the street with my son, Zen, and he was about six and there was a man begging 
on the streets. And he said to me, can we buy the man something? Can we go and get him something? And I said, you know what, Zen? I, I would love to, but we're in a hurry. We haven't got time. Maybe next time we'll do it. And Zen looked at me and said, Bubba, that was mean. You missed a chance to serve God. Listen to the Isaiahs in our life. What was happening in this community that Isaiah was challenging? What were they doing that was so displeasing to God? Well, let's see. Some were exploiting and taking advantage of those who were doing work for them. Perhaps they were treating their workers poorly or forcing them to do excessive labor or maybe not paying them for their work. And then they tried to resolve conflict with violence. They abused one another verbally and physically. And lastly, they neglected the basic needs of the poor and the vulnerable. So while all this was happening, they prayed and fasted and sought after God. But it doesn't match up, does it? It's clear that God's not pleased. And so there's one word used in this passage that really summarizes their behavior. And it's that word, injustice. Injustice is when someone uses an advantage, violence or neglect to keep others from experiencing the good life that God desires for them. So God certainly desires that we pray and worship and draw near to him. But that clearly isn't all. What about our actions? How do we care for one another? What about dealing with evil that is around us? So while God's people refrain from eating food, he also wanted them to refrain from taking advantage of one another, from violence, from neglecting the needs of others. God wants his people to be actively working to undo injustice and make things right. In James 1.22 we read, Be doers of the word, and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man observing his natural face in a mirror. For he observes himself, goes away, and immediately forgets what kind of man he was. But he who looks into the perfect law of liberty continues in it, and is not a forgetful hearer, but a doer of the work. This one will be blessed in what he does. So in other words, walking the talk will bless us. As we listen to God, he will shine the light on areas of bondage that he wants to free us from in our lives. And if we act in obedience, he will help and guide us. We have seen this again at IGM again and again rescuing victims of violence. Where we've cried out for help, maybe for a trafficker who we've not been able to catch for months, even years, and then we'll do a rescue, and suddenly the trafficker will be presented into our hands. Or maybe in India where we're seeking to rescue people from a brick kiln who are being forced to, to, to work there. And a mob, suddenly an angry mob will gather and it's a dangerous situation. And then from nowhere, a police unit turns up that we haven't called. The opposite of injustice, of course, is justice. And this means to restrain the hand of violence, to protect and care for the poor and vulnerable, so that we might know that God is good.
William Wilberforce, the abolitionist, said about the transatlantic slave trade, once seen, not unseen. James said, didn't he, we read, the man who looks in the mirror and returns to it a moment later and forgets the image he saw deceives himself. See, if, he, if we listen to God and he shows us something, we need also to see it. We need to see the injustice, no matter how hard it appears. What are some of the injustices we see in our community here in Winnipeg? Or some of the injustices we see on TV every day across the world? The UN estimates approximately four billion people live outside protection of the law. That's pretty much most of the world's poor. Without safety, security, or protection afforded by the law, the global poor take the brunt of the world's abuse, and justice for all, simply for them, doesn't exist. But, yet, the truth of the matter is that God is at work to restore and rescue a broken and unjust world, and he invites us to be a part of that work and that mission of God. I want to share with you a story from Kenya, and it was the very first case that we took on in Kenya. And it was of a man whose name is David Makara. Now, David is from a small city near to Nairobi, a couple of hours outside of Nairobi. And he grew up in poverty, lived on the street, and he was looked after, actually, by three nuns who never gave up on him. As a young man, he volunteered in a local AIDS clinic, and he ran a small business there. And one day, he was out renting a movie in a local store, and he ran into some policemen. And the officers were in the process of, of investigating a robbery that had occurred in the neighborhood, and they were under pressure to show that the arrest had been made. They rounded up a group of men of the street, and along with the suspects, David was grabbed, who was simply in the wrong place at the wrong time. The officers forced all the men into a police van, and they rode off towards the police station. An officer turned to David and said, turn over all your money, and if you do that, we'll let you go. So he gave $150, one dollar fifty, um, in Kenyan shillings. And as soon as he handed the cash to the officer, he was told, okay, when we get to the police station, we'll let you go. So the van stopped at the police station, and David was told he can go. And as David walked away from the, from the van, one of the policemen pulled out a revolver and shot him twice. He was wounded very badly in his right arm and in his side, and he collapsed in his own blood. But of course, the police didn't care, and they drove off, leaving him for dead. In great pain, David somehow managed to get up, wet in his own blood, and made his way across the street, where fortunately there was a small medical clinic. He was able to receive treatment for his wounds, and the bone in his right arm was so badly shattered that the bullet, by the bullet that he had to have it amputated straight away. This is how we found David. This is how IGM found David. When the police discovered that David had survived and he was receiving treatment, they came back to the clinic 
and they charged him with the crime. They had unfairly rounded him up for earlier. That is robbery with violence. And they handcuffed him, as you can see, by his ankle to the bed. Now, there are two things you need to know about robbery with violence in Kenya. First, it's not bailable. And secondly, it carries a mandatory death sentence. So David was carried off to jail, awaiting trial, literally for his life. What do we do with a story like this? Are we willing to see it? I mean, is there any hope for a guy like David or 10 million others that we see who have crimes pinned on them that they haven't committed? It's called pre-trial detention. It's unthinkable here in Canada or in any developed country because obviously here, the police or detaining authority are required to produce evidence to a judicial authority to demonstrate the legal legitimacy of the detention. Time frame usually, usually is a matter of hours. Yet, in much of the developing world, people in pre-trial detention languish for months, even years, actually four years on average. And even more, more worrying is the disproportionate amount of people held in pre-trial detention, which far outweighs the prison population. So, for example, in Pakistan, 70% of the prison population are in pre-trial detention. In Nigeria, 78%. In Bolivia, 84%. In Liberia, 97%. Justice for all, for these people, simply isn't there. When faced with injustice, it can be so easy to think that we are powerless. And the only thing is to pray for Jesus' return and not to get involved. But God wants us to. He wants us to do what we can to be his image bearers in the face even of this injustice. It's like my friend who was yelling out those operatic screeches or me clapping and saying, Nechtoho, drop it. See, God will use our weakness because he sees our motives and he sees our intentions. And he absolutely loves us getting involved. So God's challenge to us is not only to listen to him and see this injustice, but also to live out his image in us. It's a lot like shelling peas. I remember once on a visit to Pakistan to visit Zara's uh, grandparents. Grandad's here with us in the, in the church. And Zara sat down with Grandad to help him shell peas. Now, she was two years old, and it's actually quite a skillful job shelling peas. I think she ate half the peas that she shelled, and I think she crushed the other half. But it was delightful to watch her having a go. And she got better at it. See, God our Father has that same delight watching us having a go. He wants us to join him to be his image bearers in the face of injustice. Do we think that God's heart for justice in this world has changed since the time of Isaiah? Do we think God wants to rescue David Makara from his predicament, no matter how desperate it looks? In Isaiah, God clearly wants his people to pay attention to issues of injustice. He's pretty upset that his people are either perpetuating injustice or ignoring the issue altogether. 
What do you think God sees when he looks at our city, Winnipeg, or our community? Or hear what's happening in many communities around the world where people in poverty have no access to justice? Living out God's image is a lot like shelling peas. At first, the fingers don't seem very nimble, and we can't get the knack of it. But as we're given the instructions and the helping hand, we start to improve. And God delights in seeing us having a go. In Dallas last year, we had a celebration for IGM's birthday, 20 years, and I met a lady called Joy. She's a trauma counsellor from the Philippines, Manila, and she asked for prayer because even though she's a highly skilled trauma counsellor, she would struggle as a first responder when she'd arrive on the scene where children have been sexually abused by sometimes their mums or their close, close family members. And she just didn't know what to say to the children. She didn't have words to, to express. In a chaotic scene, but there was one thing she realised in every single case, the children would cling to her and not let go. She quickly realised that her job was simply to be there. And sometimes being an image bearer is actually just about being there. But where we see injustice, God wants us to recognise it as well and to point it out. Declare my people's rebellion and their sins, as Isaiah would say. And then when we see it work, as Isaiah would say again, to loose the chains of injustice, we need to figure out what resources are available to us so we can stop it. Yes, God desires that we draw near to him. Yes, he wants us to long for Jesus' return and put an end to evil once and for all. But until that time, God is inviting us, his people, his church, to confront injustice and help fight for those who are weak and have no voice in the world. When we start to work for justice and protect the poor from violence and simply care for one another, what do you think will happen? How will God respond to our faithful worship, prayer, and actions? Well, God, uh, Isaiah goes on. And God says that if we do these things, then your light will break forth like the dawn, and your healing will quickly appear, and your righteousness will go before you, and the glory of the Lord will be your rear guard. Then you will call, and the Lord will answer. You will cry for help, and he will say, here I am. If you do away with the yoke of oppression, with the pointing finger and malicious talk, and if you spend yourselves on behalf of the hungry and satisfy the needs of the oppressed, then your light will rise in the darkness and your night will become like the noonday. He goes on. The Lord will guide you always. He will satisfy your needs in a sun-scorched land. He will strengthen your frame. You will be like a well-watered garden, like a spring whose waters never fail. Your people will rebuild the ancient ruins and will raise up the age-old foundations. You will be called repairer of broken walls, restorer of streets and dwellings. See, in Isaiah's time, broken walls would be a city in danger, a city without protection. It would be hard to sleep at night or do your work for fear of being attacked at any time. And there are many people in the world, in our community, who struggle with this constant fear and darkness of lawlessness. And they need God's healing. And sometimes we too need God's healing. We need our cities and communities, not just here, but everywhere to be repaired. 
Is it scary? Yes. Will it be difficult for us individually? Yes. Is it difficult for us as a church? Yes, it will be difficult. It will take great courage to risk walking through darkness. It will take great courage to stand up to scary people and systems of power and influence. It will will take great courage to work for justice. But if we listen to God and see injustice and act out his image in in us, then we will experience the God of justice. The good news is that this great promise in Isaiah fills us with with confidence and hope that we need. We will be like a well-watered garden in a sun-scorched land. Instead of walking in darkness, we will walk in great light. And when we pray and call upon God, he will be quick to answer, here I am. Is God's promise still true for us today? A light shining in the darkness. In the Gospel of John, we're reminded that God in Jesus has drawn near to us and made his home with us. And this same Jesus, who is close, described by John in this way, the light shines into the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome. Jesus stepped into the darkness to bring light and life. He didn't ignore the pain in our world, but entered into it to save us, to heal us, and to shine his light into our dark world. Oddly enough, later on, Jesus says that his people, his church, are to be the light of the world. So this means that until Christ return, when he returns to judge the world and bring justice to all, in the meantime, we are meant to be the light of Jesus into the darkness, his hands and his feet. You know what we, we say, torch or flashlight or a lamp. It's made, the best time it's created to show light, isn't it, when it's dark. But when it's light, you try to put a uh, flashlight on in the daylight, you can't see it. But at night, you see why it was created, why we created this idea of light. If the path is dangerous, you can see where to go. How can we shine brilliantly in the darkness? What would it look like for us individually or as a church to fight injustice? What can God do in us and through us? So how can we best be the light that God created us to be? I want to just um, round off David's story. See, IGM heard about David's case and they decided to take it up. And we sent one of our, actually one of our most up-and-coming best lawyers at the time to, to go and meet David. His name's Victor Kamal. And this is Victor meeting, Victor's in the white shirt on the left, and he met met at the gathering last year, David's speaking in the middle. They've actually become very good friends, but when David saw Victor, he realized he was blind, and he said, God, what have I done to deserve this? You've taken my arm, and now you give me a blind lawyer. But this blind lawyer was no ordinary lawyer. He was excellent. He was full of the image of God. And not only did he win the case, but he inspired David to go on and chase the same career. He even got awarded damages for amputating the arm, which is unheard of. 
So Makara left prison in April 2003 and later married his childhood sweetheart, Beatrice, and they had four lovely children. His incarceration made up his mind to study law and defend the poor from injustice. Upon his release, he approached his church who agreed to support his pursuit for further education. David went to Kenya School of Professional Studies and he did a diploma in law and passed well. He later went to Uganda Pentecostal University with the help of his local church to pursue Bachelor of Law degree. And David Makara passed his bar exams and today he's an advocate of the High Court of Kenya. So what is most pleasing to God? What does God desire for each of us? What is God's hope for our church, for our community and people like David? Well, Micah is very helpful. Micah 6.8 says this. He has told you all his people what is good and what the Lord requires of you. But to do justice, to love kindness and to walk humbly with your God. IGEM's work in Kenya continues and remains focused on police abuse of power. Yet, it's important to say that we partner with local police in every country where we work. The work would not be possible without it. And actually, some of the bravest people we work with are from the police. We're currently walking very slowly through the justice system in Kenya to bring five police officers um, to justice who are accused of kidnapping an IGM star from outside a court hearing in broad daylight for a man they were representing who, just like David, had been rounded up and had a crime pinned on him. The police bundled the three men into a van outside the court in broad daylight, and they took them to a quarry, and they executed them an IGM lawyer, interpreter, and driver. The case has been running for over two and a half years with many stoppages and the usual delaying tactics. This is a classic case where we need to cry out to God in prayer, but we have God on our side, and he wants every injustice to be addressed, and he wants us to bring injustice, sorry, to bring justice for all, and he wants us to pray. So please keep this case and the family members of the bereaved in your prayers as we seek justice for, for them. I want to, to just finish with a couple of things. Um, one is some words from a theologian from the 18th century, a guy called John Wesley, you may have heard. And secondly, I want to provide a practical step for us to take in the light of, of this morning. So first of all, John Wesley. This is John Wesley's manifesto and it's been going around on Facebook actually I don't know if you've um, seen it on Facebook anybody um, so let's just have a quick we'll have a quick read through it and see if it's helpful for us so remember John Wesley's from the 18th century so 1700 and you know a long time ago so one reduce the gap between rich and poor people help everyone to have a job help the poorest including introducing a living wage offer the best possible education Help everyone to feel they can make a difference. Promote tolerance. Promote equal treatment for women. Create a society based on values and not on profits and consumerism. End all forms of slavery. Avoid getting into wars. 
share the love of God with everyone and care for the environment. Very contemporary words. I wonder what your manifesto would be or mine. Maybe you want to write it out as an exercise. What would be your 12 things that you want to live your life by? Secondly, just want to challenge us all on, on something that comes quite timely. Two days ago, we had that day of consumer idolatry. You know, it was the Black Friday, wasn't it? Crazy day, people fighting. And so I saw some, in, 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 actually in Britain, there was actually some people, they were fighting to get at the goods. Um, and then in two days' time, we've got Giving Tuesday. So I thought in the light of that, in the light of this talk, this would be really a good thing to, to show you. This is the IGM catalogue, gift catalogue. And I've got enough for everybody here, and they're all out there. If you don't like paper, you can go onto igm.ca, and it's all done online as well. But I would encourage you to take one of these on your way out from the table. Take a gift catalogue, and what you do is you send a card, either an e-card, or I will give you a Christmas card, which I also have out there, with its envelope. So you can take a Christmas card from IGM, or you can do an e-card, and you choose somebody that you want to bless. Maybe it's somebody that this year you're not going to give a Christmas present to, or you might give it a present to them as well. And you send that card to that person, and you say, look, in your, in your name, on your behalf, I have bought some of these things. And it could be an ornament. We have Christmas ornaments. I've got three out there. But it could be an ornament. Or it could be jewellery. Now, this jewellery and this ornament, half of that money goes to IGEM and half goes to the artisans in Kibera, in, in Nairobi, the Kibera slum, who actually make them. So they, it's a fair trade company. So you could do it with jewellery and actually send them a, a gift. Or you actually can buy rescue packages for people. So for t this is a good one for children, actually. $10, a healthy meal for two survivors. So when two survivors are rescued, immediately they need to eat. That buys them a healthy meal. Or $85 will empower training for widows and orphans. Or $150 will build a simple thatched home. So why not buy rescue, a rescue package for somebody this Christmas? Just ask God, who's that person? And actually, it will be a great witness to being an image bearer, won't it? that that's what you value at Christmas, not all the consumerism, but it's actually the God of justice, the Jesus of justice. So, in closing, let's be bold, as we are in this Advent season, this first day, to listen to God and see injustice, to live out his image in us, and if you do these things, you will experience the God of justice and your light will break forth like the dawn and your healing will quickly appear and your righteousness will go before you and the glory of the Lord will be your rear guard and then you will call and the Lord will answer. You will cry for help and he will say, here I am. There is nothing cooler than walking with God in his image and seeing the possibility of justice for all, which one day, of course, will be a reality. Just ask David. Thank you.
Amen. Thank you so